He's forgiven. Beautiful, isn't it? All right. That takes care of everything, doesn't it? That takes care of everything? That's all there was to it. A few days go by. What do I smell around here? That milk's still in the carpet. Hasn't taken the milk out of the carpet. Hallelujah. Remission hasn't taken place yet. <laughs> that milk's still there. That's right. Somebody's got to get down there and get that out. So you see, there is a difference, isn't there? And it's good for us to realize there is a difference. But the same God that forgives also provides remission of sin. Hallelujah. Through his name. He does a thorough job on us. A thorough job. And then comes the Holy Ghost. He fixes us up. Because the Holy Ghost only comes in a vessel that's clean. Through repentance, remission of sins, the vessel now is clean, and the Lord can come himself, Jesus, and dwell, and take possession, and say, this is my home. This is my body. I'm dwelling here. My body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. The presence of God can dwell in my heart and life. That's all in that new covenant. It's all part of it. Hallelujah. All right, let's hurry along. But Jesus declared other provisions would be in his will. Look at Luke 22, 29. Luke 22, 29. We spoke now about repentance and remission of sins. Let's look at Luke 22, 29. And I appoint unto you a kingdom as my Father hath appointed unto me. All right. Now, you say, what does that have to do with all of this, brother? Well, you have to go into the meaning of the word appoint. This is the Greek word diatithemi. Diatithemi. Any one of you that have Greek scholars, have Greek lexicon, or a uh, interlinear, or something of that, a Thayer, or a Strong's, or Young's, or any of those, can look this up. The word is diatithemi, which means I make unto you my will and testament. And I bequeath to you through my will a kingdom. Diatithema. A kingdom. Do you know we have folks that come to our door, knock on the door, go to the door and says, uh, we're Bible students. We'd like to sort of share with you or discuss with you about the kingdom. Kingdom. You want to talk about the kingdom? A lot about the kingdom. You know how to how to approach them? Say, uh, oh, I'm so glad you're interested in the kingdom. I'm so glad. Are you in the kingdom? Jesus said, except a man be born again of water and spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom. Hallelujah. <laughs> Oh, we're studying about that. You better do more than study about that. <laughs> you better do more than study about that. <laughs> How can you understand something you cannot even see the kingdom if you don't get into it through a new birth of water and spirit? How can you study something when you don't even see it? And you can't even see it. <clears throat> well, let's just study it. Well, let's, let's start where Jesus said you have to get into it. And brother, you hold their feet to the fire, pretty soon you know they're wanting to slip away. <laughs> I wish they would slip in, get it too. 
That's right. One or the other, because the gospel brings folks either in or out, one or the other. Nobody can ride the fence when you preach the gospel. No, sir. They have to either get in or out. It's either yes or no. Oh, yes. That's right. And the Lord is faithful to give people an opportunity. If you're true to him and the kind of administrator God has planned you to be, people will be brought to the yes or no. And you will help them say yes. Praise the Lord. Because the Lord is not willing that any should perish. But that all should come to repentance. He's the Savior of all men, especially of them that believe. There's nobody left out of this. Well, that is not the opportunity at least. Now, I want to read to you in connection with that, John 3, in the Amplified, which helps us here, and I'm not going to hold you much longer. But uh, I want to get to this wonderful assurance that God gives us when we realize that this new last will and testament of the Lord Jesus Christ is that under which we must operate, and not outside of the bounds of it, but inside of it. Jesus answered. You can follow this in your King James Version. John 3, 3. Jesus answered him, I assure you most solemnly, I tell you that unless a person is born again, anew, from above, he cannot ever see or know or be acquainted with and experience the kingdom of God. I appoint, I bequeath you a kingdom. That's the last will and testament, for he bequeathed us a kingdom. Jesus answered, verse 5, I assure you, most solemnly I tell you, except a man be born of water and the Spirit, he cannot ever enter the kingdom of God. Praise the Lord. Now, that's pretty powerful. We want everybody to enter the kingdom of God. But we can't do it by bringing the bars down. We can't bring the bars down. The Lord has them up there and says, this is the way you have to get in. Hallelujah. It's in his will. Praise the Lord. He is the one that put it there. Amen. So Jesus declared that men would experience a new birth composed of water and spirit to enter the kingdom of God. Did the administrator, Peter, declare these two provisions, water and spirit? We found out he already declared repentance and remission, the name of Jesus, and to all men. And at Jerusalem, that was all there. But how about water and spirit? Because Jesus put that in there. Was that also part of Peter's message to the people? He said, repent and be baptized, every one of you. Baptized? Baptized? That's where water comes in. How can you baptize without water? Hallelujah. That's right. And in Bible days, they used water to baptize. I mean, they had to find lots of water to baptize in. They didn't just do a little sprinkling on top. The Bible says they baptized in a certain place because there was much water there. Much water. Hallelujah. So water. Peter declared water. Has to be a water and spirit. Yes, sir. How about spirit? Yes. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and you should receive what? The gift of the Holy Ghost. What's the difference between the Holy Ghost and Spirit? They're the same. Just different words for the same thing. Everything Jesus promised as a means of getting into the kingdom is already in Peter's message. He was a faithful administrator. Don't worry about Peter. He was
was filled with the Holy Ghost. It was the word of God that was flowing through his lips. Hallelujah. He declared it just as Jesus had said. It must be done. Hallelujah. Let's praise the Lord again. Hallelujah. Oh, bless the Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Glory to God. Hallelujah. 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 Praise the name of the Lord. Hallelujah, Jesus. We thank you, Lord. Glory to God. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Praise God, praise God. Amen. Now, Jesus had been careful to explain when he taught these provisions that they could not be experienced until after his death when his will came into effect. His will did not come into effect until his death just as a man's will and testament is of none effect until he dies. And Jesus made very careful explanation of this. Notice this in John 16 and verse 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you that I go away. It is necessary for you that I go away. Now, what does that going away mean? It meant he had to die. It meant he had to be buried. It meant he had to rise from the dead the third day. It meant that he had to ascend up on high and leave this world. It is expedient or necessary for your sakes that I go away. Yes, sir. For what? For if I go not away. For if I don't die, be buried, rise from the dead the third day, and ascend up to heaven, if I don't go away, the Comforter will not come unto you. You can't have what the last will and testament declares that you receive the comforter will not come but if I go I will send him unto you see so Jesus made very sure that he told them that he had to go to Calvary and die and leave in order for them to come in under the terms of his last will and testament notice this in John 7 37 to 39 in the last day that great day of the feast. Yes, that was the Feast of Tabernacles that they were gathered together. Jesus made a startling declaration. Listen to it. Jesus stood and cried, saying, Right. If any man thirst, If any man thirst, Let him come unto me and drink. Come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, Yes. As the Scripture has said. According to the Word. Out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. Something's going to happen to him. You won't have to just take it by faith and believe that you believe that you believe that you believe. Something's going to transpire in your life. You'll not be the same anymore. He that believeth on me, something's going to happen to him. What's going to happen to him? Out of his belly or in a most being shall flow driblets. <laughs> A few drops. <laughs> what does it say? Rivers of Rivers living water. Of living water. <laughs> Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Now, this was while he was still in the days of his flesh, still walking around in Palestine. But notice what he said what is said next. Read on. But this spake he of the Spirit. This I want you to know. He spoke of the Spirit or the Holy Ghost. Read on. Which they that believe on him should receive. Which they that believe on him. You're going to have to believe on Jesus to receive. Read on. 
For the Holy Ghost was not yet when given. When Jesus spoke those words, the Holy Ghost was not yet given. Why? Because that Jesus was not yet glorified. Because Jesus was not yet glorified, he had to die to put the will into effect. When he died and was glorified, death, burial, resurrection, ascension, then that will came into effect. Then the provisions of it were, were brought about, and Peter, the first administrator, could rise up and declare it and say, this is that that was promised. Now we're receiving it. You can have it too. Hallelujah. And declare what it was they could receive according to the terms of the will that Jesus died to bring into effect. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah. Brother, we're on the solid rock with this thing, the message that we preach. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Glory to God. Praise the Lord. How could anyone ever doubt the message? When you know this, that's the truth. Praise the Lord. Amen. Prejudice and traditions of men would try to wash it away, and what people have learned in the dead churches would try to take it away from us, but it'll stand and it'll stand every test, and it'll stand until Jesus comes again as his plan. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Amen. Acts 2.38 is the only way of salvation now. It cannot be disannulled or added to. And when this truth is understood, it makes every argument against baptism in the name of Jesus fall. I picked up Dake's book, number 15, if you have Dake's Bible, and puts it in there too. It's got some good things in his comments and so forth, but... Brother, when he gets into this, he doesn't know what he's talking about. I'll just have to tell you the truth. He, he says baptism is unnecessary because the thief on the cross wasn't baptized. He brings that in. And, oh, he goes on and on and on. You can bring up every argument you want. But you see, at that time, Jesus had not been glorified. How could it come into effect yet? There's no way. That thief lived and died under another covenant, under another time. Baptism was not part of the plan at that time. Only after Jesus was glorified did this last will and testament come into effect. See, every argument that's brought up and dredged up just simply doesn't hold any water at all. Hallelujah. Remember Galatians 4.4. Let's read that, please. But when the fullness of the time was come. When God's full time was come. God sent forth his son. Yes. Made of a woman. Made of a woman. Made under the law. Made under the law. To redeem them that were under the law that we might receive the adoption of sons. So you see, the fullness of time had to come. The time when the old went out and the new came in. Praise the Lord. Until that time came, they were still under the old. I'm glad we're under the new. Hallelujah. We've got the best. This is the best God ever gave a human, the human race right now that you and I have privilege to enjoy. Remember that Jesus had promised that all heaven would stand behind Peter as he performed the task of administrating the will. All heaven would stand behind him. Let's read that in Matthew 16 and verse 19. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Peter, I give unto you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth 
shall be bound in heaven. Heaven stands behind the man who preaches this message. God backs it up. Whatever you bind on earth as you preach this and declare it faithfully and, and, and faithfully point out to people that if they will be baptized in Jesus' name, they will receive the remission of sins and the gift of the Holy Ghost if they've genuinely repented. Heaven stands behind that. God confirms his word. How does he do that? With a supernatural evidence, with signs following, the Bible says, and the sign of receiving the baptism of the Holy Ghost is a supernatural sign. Yes, it is. From heaven itself, the probate court says amen. When the preacher preaches, heaven is saying amen. Right. And standing behind it, that as soon as somebody obeys it, Heaven comes down oh, and fills them with the Holy Ghost hallelujah. and confirms the word. Hallelujah. hallelujah, hallelujah. Praise God. Now, if it was just our word and uh, heaven didn't back it up, nobody would be getting the Holy Ghost. Nobody be get Somebody came to me one time and says, you're all deluded about the speaking in tongues. I said, you came too late to tell me that. I already got it. Where did I get it? Nobody gave it to me. The probate court of heaven backed up the preaching of the word and my obedience by giving me. It came from God. Hallelujah. So you can't tell me that, that it doesn't work because it works all the time. God still is backing up his word, confirming it. As people obey it and uh, accept it and obey it, then the probate court comes in and says, that's right, that's it. It's exactly according to the last will and testament. Hallelujah. And he pours out the Holy Ghost. And I get excited. I'll, I'll just have to tell you. I'm so thrilled with God and his word and the ways of God and the perfect ways of God that I get thrilled and carried away. And you'll forgive me if I do. But I am, I'm almost ready to get raptured right now. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. That's just how I feel about it. Let's stand and praise the Lord together and thank him for his word. Oh, hallelujah. Glory to God. Praise God. Hallelujah. 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 Thank you, Jesus. The writer of Hebrews, and much of this, as you know, is found in the book of Hebrews, declares that Jesus was the testator. Now, the word testator is the Greek word diatithemai. And he was the testator of his last will and testament, diatheke. That's the word, diatheke. Now, Galatians 3.15 uses that word, and in the Amplified we read it, where it says to speak in terms of human relations, brethren, if a man makes a diatheke, a last will and testament, that's the Amplified now I'm reading. To speak in terms of human relations, brethren, if a man makes a last will and testament, no one sets it aside or makes it void or adds to it when once it has been drawn up and signed or confirmed. Now, in the book of Hebrews, we find the same word, diatheke, used in Hebrews 9, 16, and 17. For where there is, and I'm reading the Amplified again, Hebrews 9, 16. 
For where there is a last will and testament involved, the death of the one who made it must be established. For where a will and testament is valid and takes effect, for a will and testament is valid and takes effect only at death. Only at death. Since it has no force or legal power as long as the one who made it is alive. Now we discussed this at length. I wanted to mention this, especially for those that had not been able to be with us in our previous study. But uh, we discussed this at length and we found out that this will superseded and rendered null and void a previous will that the same one had made. You see, oh, a second will does not render null and void someone else's will. It has to be the one that, the same one that made it. So the one that made the previous will made this one. And we find in Hebrews 10, 9, he taketh away the first that he may establish the second. So when the first is taken away and superseded by the second will, you wrote a will out last year and then wrote one out yesterday. The one last year is just a piece of paper. It has no force or effect when you die or any other time because you have a later will dated at a later date. So the second one supersedes the first one. And that's exactly what happened when Jesus Christ made his last will and testament. The first will of the law was superseded and rendered null and void. So we have the Bible in two testaments, the Old Testament and the last will and testament, or the New Testament. Now there are three kinds of wills we discovered, the formal will, which is a written, the printed will, written by, printed up by somebody else, type, type, type generally. Then there's a holographic will written in the handwriting of the testator. And then there's a non-copative will, which is the oral will. These are all three equally valid and equally legal. The last will of the Lord Jesus Christ was oral, spoken before chosen witnesses in expectation and anticipation of his death. And that made it legal. He confirmed and notarized it by an oath that by two things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation who have come for refuge to lay hold upon the hope that is set before us. So we have the, the, the will notarized or confirmed by an oath and then we discussed also the administration of the will that jesus himself is the executor he rose from the dead to execute his own will through his administrators whom he had chosen especially the one he named out and chose before his decease the apostle peter the apostle peter was the initial administrator and then we discussed some of the provisions of the will and we, we spoke about the probate court of heaven that stands behind every jot and tittle of this will. Praise the Lord. And also the beneficiaries or heirs, the inheritance to be bequeathed to the heirs. Now, somebody says, Brother Gray, where did you get this? Well, I might say that, that uh, <clears throat> I have never heard it preached. I have never read a book on it. And so where I got it, it had to be, I feel, from the Lord. You can judge. But it is the most astounding and positive proof of our gospel message. All right. When this is understood, there's no way anyone can doubt the Acts 2.38 message in plan of salvation. 
it establishes it on incontrovertible evidence and upon a solid foundation that no one can shake. Now, let us examine the last will and testament. We're going to, in a sense, go back and establish a few things from perhaps a little different standpoint than we did the first lesson. Let us examine the last will and testament of the Lord Jesus Christ and see what the provisions contained in it are com uh, uh, composed of. First of all, I want you to notice two verses in the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 17. Would you read that, please, Brother King? Wherefore, be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. Wherefore, be not unwise. Those that do not, that claim to be God's children and do not understand the will of God and what his purposes are for them are certainly unwise. We ought to know. We must know. So let's not be unwise, but let us understand what the will of the Lord is. Now, the word that is used here is not uh, the other word that we uh, spoke about, uh, diatheki. It's not the word, that word at all. It is another word, the word salema. The Greek word is salema, for will. And it literally means wish or desire. So what it is saying is that God had a desire for his children. Before a man will draw up a will, he has to desire that his children or his heirs receive the inheritance. He has certain plans and wishes for them. Uh, I have two children that are unmarried. They're with us. One's still in her teens, and the other one is just barely out of his teens. Uh, and I have thought, in, in case something should happen to me, something should happen to Sister Gray, how I would like my children to have some of the goods that I have. And I thought, well, David is a musician. The organ should go to him. And piano. He will appreciate those. He will want them. They'll be a help to him and a blessing to him. Now, our daughter is another person entirely. So we have other things that we want her to have. She likes books. We have uh, a large collection of books that she will be getting. She'll also be getting some furniture and uh, other things which she, as a girl, is interested in. So we have certain wishes and desires for our children. Amen. That's the lemma. We haven't, this is before we made out the will. So in our minds, we were planning this all along to make out a will and put certain things in it relative to our children. We love them. They're our children. Amen. We want them to have certain things. We have a big grandfather clock the church gave us that's worth about $5,000. Whew, that scared me when they gave it to us. I didn't even want it to tick. I was afraid of $5,000. Hand carved. They had it made especially for us. Church did. We want that to go to our daughter. So in making out the will, we had, first of all, the wish or desire. That has to come first. So the Lord says, I have some desires toward you. Amen. I'm glad he does. 
He's thinking of us all the time. He says, you're written on the palms of my hands. Your walls are continually before me. Don't you ever think that God forgets you? He doesn't. He has great desires for you, longings for you. Hallelujah. So the word is thelema, a wish or desire. Be not unwise, but understanding what God's desire is for you. Hallelujah. This is even before we get to the will that he had desires toward his children. Then we get to Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 9. Having made known unto us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he hath purposed in himself. Having made known unto us the mystery of his will. This again is that word thalema, which literally means his wish or desire toward us. So we, we need to know the mystery and the desires of God toward us. And then we need to understand that he put those things in his will. And that leads us to that other word that I spoke about, diatheke. And in 1 Corinthians 2, verses 19 and 20, we discover how we may know the mystery of his will and how we may not be unwise but understanding what the will of the Lord is. But as it is written... I have not seen, I have not seen, nor ear heard, nor ear heard. Neither have entered into the heart of man. Neither has it entered into your heart or my heart. The things which God has prepared for them that love Him. The things, the wonderful things that God has prepared for them that love Him. It's we can't grasp it. Our minds are not capable of grasping these great, wonderful things of God. They're beyond our natural abilities to take hold of. They stagger the mind if we were to grasp a little portion of it. We cannot conceive of the wonders of God. They're beyond us. How are we going to do it then? How are we not going to be unwise but to understand what the will of the Lord is? How can we, how can we uh, uh, re have revealed to us the mysteries of his will and purpose for our lives and for all eternity? Well, the next verse tells us. Read on. But God hath revealed them unto but us God by his Spirit. hath revealed them unto us by his Spirit. Our minds, as Brother Beckton so wonderfully brought out night before last, are not capable. The world by wisdom knew not God. We're not capable through our mentalities and intellects of grasping the things of God. So it's, it's just something we can't take hold of. We can never know by our natural self. It takes God to move into us and illuminate us and quicken our minds and reveal to us. So the things of God come by divine revelation through his word. As we read his word and allow the spirit to operate in us, he, uh, he takes these things of God, opens them up, takes off the wrappers, shows us the treasure, oh, reveals them to us. Our minds can't grasp it, but our spirits, as they're open to the things of God, and the Holy Ghost works in our lives, can begin to accept them by divine revelation. Hallelujah. Amen. Isn't it wonderful to know that? Praise God. That's why it takes the Holy Ghost to really grasp what I'm teaching in these lessons. Amen. It takes the power of this. Did you know the oneness doctrine didn't come through uh, traditions of men? It came through people that were filled with the Holy Ghost. Oh, yes. Yeah. Because the Holy Ghost illuminated their understanding and illuminated the Scripture. Praise the Lord. Amen. And the things of God, I, I, wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't want to sit under someone that didn't have the Holy Ghost. 
I would want the Holy Ghost to illuminate his mind and heart as he taught the Scriptures. So, but God hath revealed them unto us by his Spirit. For what? For the Spirit searcheth all things. For the Spirit searcheth all things. Yea, the deep things of God. Yea, the deep things of God. Hallelujah. So when you're filled with the Holy Ghost, which will guide you into all truth, allow the Lord to illuminate your understanding. Don't try to understand everything through the natural processes, but allow the Lord to open to you his treasure house of wonders and glories and majesties. Spirit. So we have found out that uh, these things are revealed unto us by his spirit. Now we mentioned to you that the Greek word that is used in Hebrews 9.16 that we read in the Amplified to you is the Greek word diatheke, which literally means a last will and testament. Now it is also used, the same word is also used in Luke 22.29 where Jesus said to his disciples, I appoint unto you a kingdom. The word diatheke means I bequeath by means of a last will and testament a kingdom to you. And we found out in the third chapter of John that it takes a new birth for us to get into the kingdom of God. So we must qualify for it. And when we qualify according to the terms of the will, brother, we have entered into a kingdom. Oh, and it is the kingdom of God. Now, what is a kingdom? Kingdom is where... A king rules. We are not the king. It isn't ours in the sense that we rule. Brother, in order for you to get into this kingdom, you're going to have to get on the, off the throne. Yeah. You have tried to rule your life and direct your own life, but in order to get into this kingdom, it must be the kingdom of God. Yeah. God must sit on the throne of your heart. Yeah. He must be Lord of all. Hallelujah. And then you become part of this kingdom. He said, I bequeath unto you a kingdom, a place or a realm where God rules. And if there's any place in all the world where God wants to rule, it's right here in this temple and in this place and in the church of the living God. That's why the church is called the kingdom of God. And it's the place where God rules. And he rules through those whom he himself has qualified and set in the church to rule and to guide the church. Praise the Lord. A man doesn't choose that. He has no right to choose a place and say, I'm going to take that over. This is mine. God does that. That's his business. Right. When a deacon tries to set himself over the minister, he's in serious trouble with yes, God. Sir. Yes, sir. Amen. Hallelujah. Yes, sir. I don't ever want to be in trouble with God. Amen. No man takes that onto himself. That belongs to God. This is the kingdom of God. He sets him whom he will. He puts the man in there. He qualifies him. Hallelujah. That's his business. He has a way of doing it. And it works. Oh, hallelujah. It works. It's God's kingdom. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Now let's get back to the will. What is a will? Will is a legal document which expresses the desire of the testator as to the distribution of his possessions after his decease. And it contains his wealth, 
It contains his possessions. It contains all he has. Amen. What is the purpose of a will? The purpose is that the testator may give his possessions to those whom he desires. And in the method, the conditions, and the manner that he himself sets forth in his will. See, God is not only interested in who gets what, he's interested in how they get it. Amen. That it has to be God's way. Praise the Lord. Some folks try to get God's uh, things, but they do it unlawfully. You must run lawfully here. Hallelujah. It's like running a race. If you cut corners, if you shave them down and cut across the field and so forth, you're disqualified. It has to be lawfully. So God is as concerned about methods as he is about his goods. And he has set forth all of this in his will. So another thing about a will is that it presupposes heirs. When, you, when there's a will, you automatically know that there's somebody who is the heir that's going to get in on it. There wouldn't be a will if there weren't heirs. So it presupposes heirs, else there's no purpose in the will. Now the question is then, to whom would Jesus leave his inheritance? Let's look at John chapter 17 and verse 20. Neither pray I for these alone, meaning his disciples, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word. But for them also which should believe on me through their word. So the heirs of God are those that hear the gospel, receive it and believe. And he that believeth on me, as the scripture said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. This is true believing. You come into the church, something happens to you, you're born into it. You can't join this number. You must be born into it. Hallelujah. Thank God. So here we have those that not only that were his disciples, but it is a continuing administration and a continuing offer to this world for all those who should believe on him through the message that's preached by the apostles and their uh, uh, continuing administration. Let's look at Galatians chapter 3 and verses 26 down to chapter 4 and verse 1 concerning this same matter of who the heirs are. Galatians 3, beginning at verse 26. For ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. Yes. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Now I've heard somebody use this verse 26 and speak to all the people that are in all the denominations and say, you are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus, and they stop right there and they don't go a step farther to explain what that means. But the next verse tells us. You see, it's dangerous to take one verse of Scripture away from another verse and think you have the full answer by taking one verse. You know, I can take the Scripture and nothing but the Scripture and prove to you anything I want to by taking verses out of their setting, putting them together, making them mean something the Holy Ghost never intended. I can prove to you that you all ought to go out and commit suicide and do it right now by using nothing but Scripture. Judas went out and hanged himself. Go do thou likewise. And what thou doest too quickly. All Scripture 
Every bit of it. Right out of the book. Why don't you shout about it? What have I done? What have I done? I've done the same thing Jehovah Witnesses do. Seventh-day Adventists do. That's right. Old people say, look at that. They use all the scriptures, yes, but what are they doing with them? It's one thing to use the scripture and another thing to use it rightly, dividing the word of truth. All right. Paul spoke of resting the scriptures to your own destruction, twisting them, making them mean something God never intended them oh, to mean. God. We don't believe in that, friends. We believe in taking the context with the text and making them mean what God intended them to mean. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah, hallelujah. So it's important that you read what it says, and not only what it says in this verse, but who's he, who he's talking to and what he means, and keep it in the context of what God really means in those verses. Praise the Lord. Then you're on safe ground. Now notice this again. Start over. For you're all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. Then the next verse tells us who he's talking to. For, for as, as many of you, read on. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ. As have been baptized into Christ. Have put on Christ. Have put on Christ. These are they who are the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. Amen. They have been baptized into Christ and in doing so... They have put on Christ. Yes. Hallelujah. Don't that make you feel good? Yes, sir. Makes me feel good. Hallelujah. Read the next verse. There is neither Jew nor Greek. Yes. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female. For ye are all one in Christ Jesus. Amen. Brother, that's wonderful. Read the next verse. And if ye be Christ. And if ye be Christ. Then are ye Abraham's seed. Then are ye Abraham's seed. And, and heirs according to heirs the according to the promise. Heirs. Heirs of God. Hallelujah. You come in under the terms of the will when you qualify this way. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Next verse. Now I say that the heir, the heir, as long as he is a child, as long as he's a child, differeth nothing from a servant, yes, though he be Lord of all. Yet the heir is Lord of all. That's why some young Christians may not act yet as mature and as spiritual as you'd like them to act, and they're still acting like a servant. But they've been born again. And they, let's read that again. Now I say that the heir, that's the son of God, who is an heir of God, as long as he's a child, he's still immature, still an infant, still a baby. He differeth nothing from a servant. Though he might be the Lord of all, he might, in his inheritance, he has everything, but he's not acting that way. Somebody says, why doesn't he act like he's a, uh, got all these wonderful things and shouting the victory all the time? He gets in the mully grubs, he kind of gets discouraged once in a while. He's still a child. That's it. Beautiful. He's still acting like a child. He might be Lord of all, but he's not acting that way. He's like a servant. He's acting like a servant. He's what? Bless God, get out of that. You're a child of God. You're an heir of all things. Hallelujah. Shout the victory when you don't feel like it because it's true anyhow. <laughs> Hallelujah. Oh, Amen. You might not feel like you got a million dollars in the bank, but say it. 
I'm an heir of God, a joint heir with Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Amen. Praise God. Servant can't say that. He can't say that. So we don't need to act like servants. We're heirs. This belongs to us. It's real. It's genuine. Hallelujah. If you're born again, baptized in his name and filled with the Holy Ghost, you come in under the benefits and the blessings of being an heir of God. Come in under the will. Hallelujah. It belongs to you. Amen. Ephesians 3, verses 3 to 6, please. How that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery as I wrote afore in few words. Yes, remember we read to you in the in, uh, book of Corinthians how that uh, it takes the Holy Ghost to reveal these things unto us by his Spirit. So Paul said these things were revealed unto him, the things concerning the mystery. Read on. Whereby, when ye read, ye may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, All right, which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men, as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. It's revealed by the Spirit. Now, what is revealed? The next verse tells us that, that what? The Gentiles that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs. Should be fellow heirs. And of the same body. And of the same body. And partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel. The gospel comes to everybody, and everybody has the same chance. And Gentile or Jew means nothing as far as God's concerned. Each one has to go through the same door. All right. Praise God. And a Gentile can get in as fast as a Jew can. And now because the, so many times a Jew has a veil over his eyes and understanding he can't grasp it, Gentiles have come in and the Jews seemingly can't come in. But if they obey the gospel, they could. It's open to everybody. So then we become heirs. That the Gentiles should be fellow heirs. Amen. Now Romans 8, 16 and 17. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit yes. that we are the children of God. We are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ. Amen. If so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. See, there is a suffering together that is a part of God's plan for our lives. We are all, uh, almost always speaking of the positive side, and we ought to. But it's important that we realize that suffering also is included in God's plan for your perfection and your good as you qualify for the blessings of being an heir of God. James 2, verse 5. Hearken, my beloved brethren. Hearken, my beloved brethren. Hath not God chosen the poor of this world? Hath not God chosen the poor of this world? That lets me in. Hallelujah. Read on. Rich in faith. Rich in faith. And heirs of the kingdom which and he hath promised to them that love him. Heirs of the kingdom which he hath promised to them that love him. So these are all wonderful verses that let us know that we have a right to be an heir of God and come in to the inheritance that comes through the last will and testament of the Lord Jesus Christ. Something else about a will, we mentioned last, the last thing about it was that a will presupposes heirs 
A will also presupposes something else. A will presupposes also that there are possessions which the heirs will inherit. There would be no point in a will if there weren't something for the heirs to receive, would there? So that lets us know that there's something that we're going to receive, something we've already received as part of the will, but it isn't over yet. You haven't got it all, friend. Hallelujah. I like to think of what I have. I like to shout about it. But that's not all. There's more to come. Hallelujah. We need to understand what is coming. Now, we want to know, first of all, that these possessions or these uh, things that are in the will, the goods of the testator, include all the wealth of the testator. I don't know whether we're going to be capable of grasping this or not. We'll have to ask the Lord to help us when we say that this will includes all the wealth of the testator, which is the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, let's look at some of the wealth, but I do know that that is included in the will, and we can qualify to receive it. Notice this in Luke 15, 31. Jesus himself gave a parable. And in the parable, he made a statement, and its application comes to you and I today. Luke 15, 31. And he said unto him, He said unto him, Son, son thou, thou art ever with me. Thou art ever with me. And all that I have is thine. Some of what I have? All. A little bit that I have? All. All that I have is thine. Now, let's go back and look at that parable a moment. We all know that parable is a parable of the prodigal son, don't we? All right, you know the story, how that the, the, the youngest son went to his father, said, Father, give me the portion of goods that belongs to me. I want to get away from home, and I want, me to, I want to kick up my heels and have myself a time out yonder in the world. His father did, gave him just what he asked for. He went out, had himself a high time as long as his money lasted. When he lost his money, spent it in riotous living, living high and so forth, he then was destitute, absolutely destitute. And he went and finally hired himself out to a citizen of that country to tend swine, the lowest estate a Jew could sink to. Isn't anything lower. So here he was in the pig pen, smelling like a pig, willing to eat like a pig, and what the pig eats. And there, sitting in that flop and the filth of the pig pen, the Bible says he came to himself. And he said, I will arise and go back to my father's house. The servants have more to eat than I have. And I'll tell my father, I'm not worthy to, become a, to be your son. Just make me a hired servant. I'm willing to slay, labor and, and be a slave around the house, do anything, just, just so that I can, I can be back on that level. He went back, his father met him, received him, kissed him, embraced him, and wouldn't even listen to the protestations of the boy that he was willing to be a servant. He said, my son is dead and is alive. My son is lost and is found. This is my son come back again. Oh, how the Lord forgives. Oh, the depth of his forgiveness. Praise God. We remember those things that we did, but God forgets them. He says, you're my son. I accept you back into my family. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Wrapped his arms around him, said, bring the best robe, 
Bring a ring on his finger, a seal of the fact he's a member of the family. Bring that, put it on his finger. Put the robe on him. Kill the fatted calf. Yeah. Let's have a time. Yeah. Hallelujah. Angels in heaven rejoice. Let's rejoice when a sinner comes back to God. Hallelujah. But that's not the end of the story. This boy was received back. The oldest son had been out in the fields, and he comes back, and he hears the music and singing, and he goes and looks through the window. What's going on around here? We haven't had a time like this lately. He looks in the window, and there is that younger brother of his that came back, and that father's got his arm around him, and he's eating the fatted calf, and they're singing, and they're dancing, and rejoicing, and happy, and here he is standing out in the cold looking in through the window. That's right. He says, my brother doesn't deserve that kind of treatment. He, does, he shouldn't be treated as good as that. I've been true to, the, to my dad. I haven't run away. My father's never killed a fatted calf for me. Why should he treat him like that when I've been true to him all these years while my brother was out there wasting money and throwing it away and having a high time and I've been here all the time and he never did kill the fatted calf for me jealousy filled him he has a mully grub chin is sunk down till it's almost dragging the carpet and so finally his father sees him sneaking up ready to go to his room not, won't even come in greet his brother says come on in no not going to do it Got a lip hanging out. No, sir, I'm not going to do it. Sulking. I know, sir, I'm not going to come in there. Come on, son, come on. Your brother was lost and is found. He was dead and he's alive. He's back again. Rejoice with me. No, no. Listen, Dad, you're not fair. Look how you're treating this fellow that's been untrue. He's done every low-down thing he's taken the money and wasted it and thrown it away and then you treat him like this i've been with you all the time you've never done anything for me what did the father say read it again and he said unto him he said unto him son thou art ever with me. thou art ever with me and all that i have is thine and all that i have Hallelujah. is thine oh. And he said unto him, Son, thou art ever with me. Thou art ever with me. And all that I have is thine. And all that I have Hallelujah. is thine. Oh, Jesus. Hallelujah. You could have had a fatted calf every day if you'd wanted it. Amen. That's right. That's right. Some of us don't know what we could have. We never realize it. We could, we could have had rejoicing, praising God, singing, having all this every day. Said everything that I have is yours. Help yourself. Rejoice. Hallelujah. We sit back there and kind of feel sorry for ourselves. What do we got to feel sorry for? Oh, all that I have is thine, the Lord's saying. Hallelujah. Oh, why don't you come on in and get what God has for you? Don't feel bad about the other fellow getting blessed. God has a blessing for you. Bigger and better than anything you can dream about. Hallelujah. All that I have is thine. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah.
Praise the Lord. Amen. But that, that's not just in a parable. That's also in plain statements in the Scripture. Let's look at that, shall we? 1 Corinthians 3, 21 to 23. Therefore let no man glory in men. Let no man glory in men. For all things are yours. How many things? All things. All things are yours. Read on. Wherefore, whether Paul or yes. Apollos yes. or Cephas or, or the world or the world or life, life or death, death or things present, things present or things to, things come, to come, all are yours. All are yours. And ye are Christ. You're Christ. And Christ, Christ is, God. is God. Hallelujah. You're sour about with those corners of your mouth turned down about. It's all yours. Hallelujah. Lord says, I've got you right in the very center of my will and my purpose. Hallelujah. And I bequeath this to you. I bequeath you a kingdom. And I've made sure that you're coming in on this. That everything belongs to the children of God. Praise Lord. Now, somebody says, well, we, I don't see that. Well, we don't see all things under his feet yet, but... This is the plan of God. Amen. Spiritual blessings, everything we need are, is already given to us. We don't have to ask God for it. It's already ours. Sometimes we think we have to ask God for something he's already given to us. Amen. That's right. But notice a few other scriptures. 1 Peter 1, 4 is a good example. 1 Peter 1, 4. To an inheritance incorruptible. That he has, he has uh, given to us an inheritance that cannot decay. It is incorruptible. Read on. And undefiled. Undefiled. There's nothing but purity. There's nothing here that would spoil it. It's undefiled. Read on. And that fadeth not away. And that fadeth not away. It doesn't get old. It doesn't decay. It doesn't lose its, its freshness. It fadeth not away. Reserved in heaven for Reserved you. Reserved and kept in heaven for you. Now, it's true that we don't have all of that yet, but it is as sure and as certain that it's yours and you will get it all as sure as the Holy Ghost that you have. Amen. Oh, God. It's kept where no thief can rob you of it. Right. It's kept where it will not grow old and decay. It's kept where it can Hallelujah. never be stolen and never be, uh, and never get old and, and never rust and never lose its value. Hallelujah. You might live like a pauper down here, but bless God, you're a millionaire. Hallelujah. It's reserved in heaven for you. Now, these possessions are distributed to the beneficiaries and heirs in the amounts and at the times specified in the will. Uh, all is not given at once. All is not given at once. I'm going to read this in the Amplified in the first chapter of Ephesians. If you'd like to follow me, just turn to Ephesians chapter 1 in the King James Version. But in Ephesians chapter 1, let me read it to you, verses 10 to 14, and you follow with me in the King James Version, because this is great. This lets us know how these wonderful treasures are given to us that we uh, that are ours in the inheritance. Ephesians 1, beginning at verse 10. He planned for the maturity of the times and the climax of the ages to unify all things and head them up and consummate them in Christ, both things in heaven and things on the earth. Now, this is your possessions. Now, he's talking about 
all things are yours, and he's mentioning that there's some of them in heaven and some of them on earth. In him we also were made God's heritage, and we obtained an inheritance, for we have been foreordained, which means chosen and appointed beforehand, in accordance with his will and purpose, who works out everything in agreement with the counsel and design of his own will. Now you see, everything then is going according to the pattern and plan that he has already planned. Everything. Meaning that there's nothing that is not thought of that he hasn't designed and planned for. Then verse 12 says, So that we who first hoped in Christ, who first put our confidence in him, have been destined and appointed to live for the praise of his glory. In him you also who have heard the word of truth, the glad tidings of your salvation, and have believed in and have adhered to and have relied upon him, were stamped with the seal of the long-promised Holy Spirit. Verse 14. That Spirit is the guarantee of our inheritance, the first fruit, the pledge, and the foretaste the down payment on our heritage in anticipation of its full redemption and our acquiring complete possession of it to the praise of his glory. Now that means that when you got the Holy Ghost, you just got the down payment. Praise the Lord. Now let's, let's just hold that thought a minute because that's a wonderful, wonderful thought. That's, and, and, but it's a little bit more than a down payment. It is an earnest. You know what an earnest is? It is a guarantee. An earnest payment is assurance that it is all yours, just as surely as though it were in your possession now. Praise the Lord. So it is a guarantee. Now let me, let me illustrate this a little bit before we go on a little further. You remember the other parable that Jesus gave about the fellow that fell among thieves on the road to Jericho. You remember that? And uh, so here came the priest, passed by, and the Levite passed by, and the thieves robbed him and stole, stole all of his goods and possessions. And um, um, uh, that's exactly what the devil did in the Garden of Eden. He stripped him of his raiment and left him wounded and half dead. Dead spiritually, still alive physically. That's the way mankind is. Men are walking the streets of every city that are dead spiritually, alive physically, half dead, only half alive. That's the way that man was on the road to Jericho. So he fell among thieves, and the thief cometh not but to steal and kill and destroy, but I am come that you might have life, Jesus said, have it more abundantly. So he then came along, the good Samaritan, the law and the prophets could not help him, priest and Levite. But the good Samaritan came. Now, Jesus likened himself to a Samaritan. What was a Samaritan? Samaritan was a Jew that had been mongrelized. The Jews were very strong on keeping their racial identity and keeping their racial purity. But the Samaritans had intermingled with Gentiles, and so they were not a pure race. They were both Jew and Gentile. They were a mongrel race. So the Jews then had no dealings with the Samaritan. They looked down upon them as compromisers 
to compromise with Gentiles. Now, Jesus was also two, not just man, not just God, but God and man. So he, the Samaritan was a type of the Lord Jesus Christ. Just as the Samaritan was both Jew and Gentile, Jesus was both God and man. And he was... He came to his own, his own received him not. He is despised and rejected of men, just as the Samaritans were despised by the Jews. So it's the type of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus came, found him there, bound up his wounds. Has that ever happened to you when Jesus came your way? Bound up your wounds, poured in the oil and the wine. Hallelujah. Put you on his own beast. He became your burden bearer. He carried you when you couldn't carry yourself. Where did he take you? To an inn. Church. Yes. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. He didn't leave you oh, by yourself oh, out yonder God. somewhere to struggle and make it on your own. He brought you to the church, put you in the family, told the innkeeper, pastor. Hallelujah. I put him in your hands, preacher. You know, I've had some folks come to our church who were sort of you know, they were problems. Did you ever have any problems in your church? Nobody? <laughs> and there was a temptation one time in my life back yonder to just kick that fella out. He was causing so much trouble. Get rid of him. But as I began to contemplate that, the Lord said, I put him in your church, and I told you to take care of him. Lord, I wish you hadn't done that. <laughs> then I got the rest of the story. That's not the end of it. Let me tell you the rest of it. That good Samaritan turned that man over to the church and over to that pastor, over to the innkeeper, and he told him something. He says, now you take good care of him, and anything that it costs you to do it, whatever the cost is, it makes no difference, I'll pay you for that when I come again. Hallelujah. I'll pay you. I'm going to pay you. And to let you know that I mean business, he reached in and he gave him two pence. Now, that's more than two, two copper pennies. What does that mean, two pence? Well, it can mean several things. First of all, it was a down payment, said this is assurance that you'll get to all the rest that's coming to you. Yeah. That's what we're talking about here. But it also meant this, that I've saved this fellow and I'm paying for him and I've redeemed his soul and his spirit. Two pence, soul and spirit. That's already taken care of. But there's more to him than that because when I come again, I'm going to come again and I want a whole man there. Then the Lord's interested in the whole man. Body, mind, spirit, soul, every part of you. God's interested. He's a healer of the body. He's interested in your soul, your spirit, your mind. He wants your mind to be right and clean. He's not giving us the spirit of fear, but a power and of love and what? Sound mind. Sound mind. Hallelujah. So he's interested in the whole man. So he said, I've taken care of the soul and the spirit, but there's some more that needs to be taken care of. You bind him up. You take care of him. You feed him good. You give him the best room in the house. You give him the best you've got because the more you give him, the more I'll pay you. 
You know, if I was that innkeeper, I'd, I'd give him the bridal suite. I'd, I'd just pour the whole... I know this fellow's good for it. When he comes back, he's going to pay me whatever I say. Whatever I put out on him, I'll get paid for it. The better I treat him, the better, the more I'll get. Hallelujah. So that's exactly the way the Lord does. But the, the two pence can refer to the down payment. When he returns again, he will come without a sin offering unto what? Salvation. Meaning that the rest of us, that the rest of that we haven't yet entered into, we will enter into. We'll get the rest of it when he comes again. Let's look at some of this that we will receive. Romans 8, 15 to 23. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. Amen. That's the Holy Ghost coming in, whereby the Spirit of God then begins to call through us. And generally the first words that are said when you receive the Holy Ghost, you begin to stammer and say, Abba, 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 Abba Father. Hallelujah. Like a little baby infant babbling. Hallelujah. But then it breaks out into a language. Hallelujah. With stammering lips and another tongue will yes, I speak sir. to this people. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Read on. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Yes, there is a witness of the Holy Ghost. Read on. And if children. And if children. Then heirs. Then heirs. Heirs of God. Yes. And joint heirs with Christ. Yes. If so be that we suffer with him. Amen. That we may be also glorified together. Read on. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed All right, in the us. suffering on this side, but the glory is on that side. And when you compare the two, it's not worthy to be compared. What you go through here is very small compared to the glory that's over there waiting for us. Praise the Lord. It's good for us to know that, isn't it? Don't ever complain about what you're going through here. The more you go through here, the more... The glory is over there. Read on. For the earnest expectation of the creature waited for the manifestation of the sons of God. Now, we cannot understand verse 19 unless we go on. The creature or the creation is waiting for something to happen. What is it waiting for? It's waiting for something that is called here the manifestation of the children of God or of the sons of God the sons of God, to really enter into their inheritance. That's what, that's what the whole world is waiting for. They don't know it, but they are. The whole creation is waiting for that because something's going to happen when that takes place. When you and I get into our inheritance, something's going to happen to this world. Read on. For the creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who has subjected the same in hope. Yes. The creature or the creation was made subject to vanity or to a curse that is upon the whole creation. Uh, not willingly. It did not enter into it willingly. But because there is uh, uh, someone who has subjected this world in expectation of something's going to happen. Read on. Because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. This old creation is going to come back and the curse will be lifted again. Mm -hmm. 
and that the corruption will be lifted from it. The lion shall lie down with the lamb. Oh, yes, the Bible tells us all of this. It's going to take place as sure as we live. Now, what does that have to do with us, though? Wait a minute, and you'll see. Read on. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. Yes, there's a, everything is in the minor key. There's a groaning taking place in creation. Everything is not, it, it's subnormal. It's not up to the, the, the thing that God has planned for this world yet. It's brought in under the curse. Read on. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves grown within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit the redemption of our body. You see, we're waiting for something too. We don't have it all yet. It's sure for us. It's positive for us. We have the earnest of our inheritance, but there's something that we don't have yet that is still in the inheritance for us to receive. What is that? The redemption of our body. Praise God. Our soul and our spirit, we're rejoicing in that, aren't we? Hallelujah. But one of these days, I'm like the black fellow that said, he got to testifying and he jumped up and down. He said, I'm like popcorn. He said, I'm going to turn inside out. I've got the glory on the inside and one of these days I'll turn inside out. Hallelujah. <laughs> That's right. The glory will take over our bodies. And our bodies will be made like unto his glorious body. So we're waiting for that, aren't we? That's and right. that is positive and sure. That's part of the inheritance that you and I are going to receive. When Jesus comes again, he'll come with the fullness of our salvation. And the rest that we have not received will be ours at that time. Oh, if you think you've got a redeemed body now, let me just stick a pin in you. See how you like it. You just won't like it. But there's something yet to come for you, friends, and it's just as sure as what you have already received. Thank God. Everybody said praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Let's just raise our hands and thank him right now, shall oh, we? God. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Oh, Glory to God. Glory to God. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen, Jesus. We thank you, Lord. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. Praise the Lord. Amen. Uh, I might illustrate this very quickly by, uh, suppose I, you were to buy a $10,000 car. And uh, you put $1,000 down on the car, which is earnest money. And you tell that fellow that's selling the car that you're going to be back with the $9,000. Hold the car till I get back. Of course, these days you can drive it off, but I'm using this illustration that, that the car is yours, but you just hold it because I'm going to come back and get it So, and possess it. So God doesn't give you the whole inheritance at once. He's given you the down payment. That's right. And uh, you might be like someone that's gotten into an inheritance and great a big estate the millionaires died and the heir gets only a thousand dollars a month he doesn't like that why don't i get the whole thing well if he got the whole thing he'd destroy himself with it he wouldn't know how to handle it that's right he'd use it wrong wrongfully 
So we don't give a child a million dollars at once. They'd be spoiled. They'd be ruined. They'd whine and complain. I only get $250 a week. So why do I have to wait till I'm 35 years old to get the million dollars? And they complain about it. But there's a reason, and you understand the reason. That's right. And so God does the same thing. Hallelujah. That's right. He gives the same thing. He knows how to keep us where we belong. As long as we're in this body, hallelujah, he gives us everything we need to be an overcomer. All the power of the Holy Ghost that we can handle is given to us. It's ours right now. But someday, bless God, we're going to get the rest of it and it'll all be as wonderful and more so than what we've already received. Praise the Lord. And we'll have all eternity to enjoy it. Praise God. Let's look at 1 Peter chapter 1 concerning this, verses 3 to 5. And I'm going to again read this to you in the Amplified Version. 1 Peter 1, verses 3 and 5. Praised, honored, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah. By his boundless mercy we've been born again to an ever-living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Born anew into an inheritance which is beyond the reach of change and decay. It is unsullied and unfading reserved in heaven for you who are being guarded or garrisoned by God's power through your faith till you fully inherit that final salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. So when we understand how wonderful this is, that it is guarded, that it is imperishable, that it is reserved and incorruptible, praise God, if we got everything now, if a, if a young fellow got everything now, he'd run through it, he'd, he'd, he'd uh, lose it. Uh, but surer than Fort Knox is the inheritance that you have. It's where the devil can't get to it. It's where nobody can rob it and take it away from you. Praise the Lord. No inflation there. You won't lose it. Hallelujah. That's right. Someday you'll enter into it. Let's look at Matthew 25, 34. Then yeah. shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Yes. Come, ye blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Come, inherit. Oh, bless God, someday we're going to hear those words. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. But let me just add this to you. We are not any less a son of God now than we will be there. All right. We're just as much a child of God, an heir of God. We are just as much his child now as we will ever be in eternity when we get the rest of it. Oh, you and I are on the little end of the biggest thing in all the world. Hallelujah. Thank God. And what we've received and the joy that we have in our soul is just the beginning. It is the administrator's job, the one who has been given the job to uh, administer the will, it is the administrator's job to contact all the beneficiaries and notify them. I remember when I was the administrator of uh, Sister Cassie's will, um, I got my friend, Mr. Howard Turrentine, who was one of the leading attorneys in San Diego and is now a federal judge, by the way, 
one of the leading uh, uh, federal judges on the bench in the city of San Diego. I got him to work with me on this will. And he and I had been friends for some time, and he'd helped us in a number of things, legal matters. So uh, as, as I, uh, when this was dropped into my lap, I talked to him about it. He said, Reverend, he said, uh, uh, I'll help you with it. Don't worry about a thing. And I said, well, you tell me what to do because I've never done this before. He said, fine. He said, one of your tasks will be to contact the beneficiaries. Everyone that's mentioned in the will has to be contacted and told about it. Those that are in other, other parts of the United States. And wherever they might be, uh, they must be notified that they are heirs of the estate of Johanna Cassa. So I notify them. Now, this is one of the important tasks of the administrators of the will of the Lord Jesus Christ. And since we are the administrators, this has been handed down to us, uh, we're going to see actually who the administrators are. I hope we'll have time for that. If we don't, well, I'll tell you right now, you and I. And the ministry in particular, but not just the ministry, everyone who's received the Holy Ghost then becomes somebody that is charged with the, with the necessity of reaching out and telling others that they too have been, uh, have been privileged or are privileged to get in under the provisions of the will, if they will. And that's our job. That's why we're still here and not raptured. But anyhow, one of the jobs is to contact all the beneficiaries and notify them. Now, the Apostle Peter's task was not completed on the day of Pentecost. He was the initial beneficiary, the first one. But his task was not completed on the day of Pentecost. Why? Well, Jews had been invited and had been notified, but not Gentiles. And Jesus died for every man and every woman. So the Gentiles also must be notified, and Jesus came to save the Gentiles also. I'm glad he did, or you and I'd be out of it. Hallelujah. The first will was only to Israel. But thank God, when he put in a new will, he put in a better one and included you and me. Yes. Praise the Lord. The first one is out, the new one's in, and his arms are wide to a whole wide world. He died for all men. John 1, 29. The next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. Taketh away the sin of who? The world. The world. Some time ago, I was in touch with someone that I was witnessing to, and they began to tell me that Jesus did not die for the world. He only died for some people. He called it a limited redemption or a limited atonement. And I listened a little bit, and then I said, no, I'll never receive that. I said, he taketh away the sin of the world. He is the Savior of all men, especially of those that believe. He said, whosoever will may come and drink of the water of life freely. This person tried to tell me that only a few could be saved, and the rest had no chance. And that God picked those and said, the rest of you, I didn't come for and I don't love and you don't have a chance to be saved. I don't believe a word of it. I believe the love of God embraces the whole wide world. Every soul in it. Why then did the Lord say to his church, go 
into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. It's no good news to somebody to tell them Jesus died, but you can't have it. You're left out. You can't get in because you're not among us. No, I want to tell the world what Jesus says. Tell them the good news that Jesus died for the world. Hallelujah. He's not willing that any should perish. Oh, you believe that? perish but that all a l l all should come to repentance hallelujah hallelujah so what is the job of the church to notify all the beneficiaries everyone to whom uh, jesus died or for whom jesus died brother that puts me under conviction. When I get to this part of the study, I'm brought under deep conviction. I'm made to realize that my task is not finished. I'm, I'm not, I haven't fulfilled yet what God has planned that I fulfill. Now, of course, as an individual, I can't contact everybody, but he told the church of which I'm a part to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. The whole church must be involved in this. Not just a preacher, not just a missionary. Somebody says, well, he's called to do it. I'm not called. Yes, you are. Let me get to this. I'm going to skip over a little bit here. And I'm going to get you a, a scripture to let you know who it is that's called to tell the world about it. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 to 20. All things are of God. Who hath reconciled us, you and me, to himself, by Jesus Christ, read on, and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. Now, who is the us he has given the ministry of reconciliation to? Is it to just the clergy? No, the us is the same us as in the first part of the verse. Those that he has reconciled. That's the us. Every person that's been reconciled has also been given the ministry of reconciliation. The same us. He hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and he has given to the same us, every person that he has reconciled and been filled with the Holy Ghost, he is charged with the ministry of reconciliation. Now, what is that ministry of reconciliation that he's given to every person that's been filled with the Holy Ghost. The next verse tells us. To wit, now he explains it now, what this ministry is. To wit, so that means, it means this, that what? That God was in Christ. That God was in Christ. You believe that? Yes. Now we better tell the world this. This is what we better tell the world. That God was in Christ. That's the first part of the ministry of reconciliation. Mm. That Jesus Christ was God. Yes. But that, didn't, it doesn't stop there. It goes on to something else. That God was in Christ doing what? Reconciling the world unto himself. Reconciling just you and me unto himself. The world. Or just the white race? The world. 
or just as certain ones. The world. The world. You, me, and everybody else. You see, the whole world is included in the last will and testament if they'll believe it, if they'll accept it. We better tell them that he died on Calvary to reconcile the world. This is a ministry that he's imparted and given and charged to the church to the, be the beneficiaries of it, or, or the, the administrators of it, to pass it on to all the beneficiaries. Everybody that, has, that can get in on this needs to be told that they can get in on it. And so we have been given the ministry of reconciliation to wit that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto, uh, unto himself. Read on. Not imputing their trespasses unto them. Not imputing their trespasses unto them. And hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. And here we find it again. Hath committed unto us. Somebody says, well, that's the, that's the Apostle Paul and, the, and the, the ministry. No, 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 no. The us is the same us as in the previous verse where it said he hath reconciled mm -hmm. us to himself. Every person that has been reconciled now becomes an administrator to, with a ministry of reconciliation to tell the little world in which they live. Hallelujah. Go preach the gospel to every creature in your little world. You'll do it in your little world, I'll do it in my little world. Brother will do it in his little world. Sister will do it in her little world. Brother will do it in his little world. We can reach the world. Say we can't do it? I, I believe we can. Oh, God. That's right. Help us see. The seed of one kernel of wheat in just a short time can, can actually fill the world with corn. If every kernel were replanted, the whole world could be filled with corn. In a short time, I, I have the statistics at home. Just a very short time. It's amazing what could happen. If we would fill our own... Uh, would, would, Go into the world that's where we live. That means the, 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 those that we are contact, our orbit. Amen. And then the whole church should be going into the world. The whole world. By this means we would be able to do it. That's wonderful to realize, isn't it? But it's an awful responsibility. When God gave you the Holy Ghost, he put along with it a responsibility for you to go into your world and tell your world about it. Amen. So then we are ambassadors, verse 20. Now then we are ambassadors for Christ. Yes. As though God did beseech you by us. As though God did beseech you. see, the administrator of a will is in the stead of the testator. He stands in his place. He is doing what the testator would do oh, if he were there. Oh, God. That's it. We must do what Jesus would do if he were here. And he fills us with the Holy Ghost to enable us to do it. Hallelujah. Yes, That's right. So then we are ambassadors for Christ, and so God did beseech you himself by us. We pray you. What does in, he say? We pray you in Christ's stead. In Christ's stead we stand. Be ye reconciled to God. Be ye reconciled to God. Hallelujah. That's the ministry of reconciliation that has been given to every person that has been reconciled. Now this takes us back now to the fact that we must, by the help of God, contact all the beneficiaries. And we found out that Jesus came to save the Gentiles, 
and the Jews and the whole wide world. And, uh, you know, God had a hard time convincing the Apostle Peter that his work was not completed. Did you know that? He had a hard time getting this, this across to Peter. Peter thought his job was done on the day of Pentecost, that it was all finished. He'd done what he was supposed to do. He'd opened the door to the, to the Jews, and the, uh, the Jews were now uh, uh, been told about it, so forth. But uh, God says, wait a minute, there's a wide world out there we haven't touched yet. We've reached the Jews from every nation under heaven, but how about Gentiles? And Peter just, you know, you know, sometimes our hearts may be right and our heads may be wrong. Did you know that? Yeah. Our thinking may be wrong. God wants our thinking to be right as well as our hearts to be right. I believe Peter's heart was right. He was thinking. But somehow the words of Jesus did not penetrate. And the words of John the Baptist did not penetrate into Peter. And Peter did not even grasp what he himself had said on the day of Pentecost when he said the promises to you, to your children, and to all that are far off. He didn't even grasp that. He said it. It reminds me of the, uh, the service where, uh, the church where uh, the preacher was preaching this oneness message and there was a sister who, had, who was Trinity in the church. And she resisted it. She opposed it. And uh, uh, she spoke against it and spoke against the message. And it's dangerous to do that. Dangerous. But she did. She says, I don't believe it. It's not so. And she spoke against it. The church was somewhat divided. But the preacher was preaching the truth, the oneness. And so then the, the service came on, and, and this, this, this woman, uh, uh, the Spirit of the Lord came on her, and she gave a message in tongues and interpretation. We may not understand how the Lord can use someone like that, but he did. And when she interpreted it, it came out oneness. And when she was through, she realized, just what have I said? <laughs> she couldn't realize it. It dawned on her what had happened. Brother, her defenses were down. She, she capitulated. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. So sometimes your thinking may be altogether wrong. God wants your thinking to be right as well as your heart to be right. Amen. So, uh, the Lord had to give Peter a special visitation, a special dream. And he saw a sheet let down from heaven. You remember the 10th chapter of Acts? The sheet let down from heaven, and uh, there were all kinds of creeping, crawly uh, creatures in there, unclean. And the Lord said, Rise, Peter, slay and eat. He said, Not so, Lord. Not so. I've never, never, I'm a Jew. I've never. And he was living under the old law. Here he was under the new and he'd gone back to the old. And he says, oh, no, I'm a Jew. The old law says not to eat certain, certain uh, kinds of meat. Oh, I wouldn't do that. Peter had to learn a few things. He wasn't anymore under that old covenant. He was under a brand new one. Somehow, some of this didn't dawn on him. And the Lord says, what I have cleansed, call not thou common or unclean. He couldn't grasp it. It's mind. You see, these things are not understood by the natural mind. They must be, we must be quickened by the Holy Ghost. Yes, reveal them unto us by His Spirit. So God's Spirit was trying to get across to Peter. This happened three times. Finally, at that time, 
he went down. Someone came to him and said, you're wanted down here. He went down there. There were some Gentile men waiting for him at the door. And suddenly he realized what the meaning of that vision was. That it wasn't just alone the meats involved, but the fact that God had now included Gentiles in this so great salvation. It wasn't anymore to be kept to the Jews that Gentiles had to receive it. I'm glad the Lord revealed that to Peter. You and I wouldn't be here today. Right. Praise the Lord. Now, when the administrator's task is complete, and we're going to conclude with this, when the administrator's task is completed, um, the administrator will give an accounting to the probate court. This happens, in, of course, in, uh, in the... Uh, uh, in this world, and whenever there's a, a case is settled, a a uh, uh, estate is settled, that the then the probate court must examine and see to it that it all has been done exactly like the will has stipulated. That's a probate court. And so what I did in this case that I was administrator, uh, I had to submit my papers, submit the actions I had taken, submit a complete written report to the probate court. And the probate court that examined it and, and uh, concurred that I had carried out all the provisions that was in Mrs. Johanna Koss's last will and testament. So there must be then this oversight, and I believe heaven itself is looking on to see how we handle the estate of the Lord Jesus Christ and the administration of his will. They're watching. Notice this in 1 Corinthians 4, verses 1 and 2. Let a man so account of us as of the ministers of Christ yes. and stewards of the mysteries of God. God has entrusted to us his mysteries, his wonders, of the things that are hidden from the wise and prudent and revealed unto babes, the things that this world cannot understand, the things of greatest treasure and value in the world. He's committed them into our hands. Next verse. Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. And here we are with all these wonderful treasures, and the Lord says, I'm requiring faithfulness out of you that you take care of it for me. Now let's look at uh, 2 Corinthians 5, verses 10 and 11. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. You and I, every Christian, must someday appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Now, this is not the great white throne judgment. It is altogether different. This is only for the saints, not the sinners. No sinners will make this. We, Paul says, yeah. you and I, Holy Ghost-filled, baptized in Jesus' name, saints of God that make the rapture, will also appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Read on. That everyone may receive the things done in his body. Yes. According to that he hath done. According to that he hath done, the rewards will be given out or the, or the lack of rewards according to the way you have handled what God has entrusted to your hands. Whether it be good or bad. Whether it be good or, 20th century said, worthless. Whether it be profitable or unprofitable. It doesn't mean sinful because no sin is going to make it there. It simply means whether you have been faithful in your stewardship or not. Or whether your stewardship has been a good stewardship or a worthless 
stewardship. Read on. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. Yes, knowing that this is going to happen, that we're going to appear before the judgment seat of Christ, we persuade men. But we are made manifest unto God. Yes. And I trust also are made manifest in your consciences. Luke 16, verses 1 and 2, please. And he said also unto his disciples, There was a certain rich man which had a steward. Which had a steward. Now, the rich man, of course, is the Lord, and he has a steward, which you and I fit into that category. Read on. And the same was accused unto him that he had wasted his goods. Yes. And he called him and said unto him, How is it that I hear this of thee? Give an account of thy stewardship, for thou mayest be no longer steward. You see, you and I are going to be called into an account for our stewardship. How have we handled what God has put in our hands? What have we done with it? Have we done what he told us to do with it? Or have we kept it to ourselves and like one parable said, wrapped it in a napkin? How about that? What have we done with what he has given to us? You see, we get to thinking this is for me when the Lord says, no, it's for a world. That's right. And I put it in your hands so that the world can hear it. I'm not putting it in the hands of angels. I'm putting it in your hands. And God has faith in us. We talk about having faith in God, but God has faith in us to give us his greatest treasure and to put it in our hands and say, now, I want you to tell the world about it. God has faith in us. He has faith in this church. He has faith in you. He's chosen you to be his steward of these wonderful treasures. Hallelujah. Think of the honor. But we'll be called to account, and one of these days we'll have to give an account. Notice what it says in Hebrews 13, 17. Obey them that have the rule over you. All right, this is your pastor. Obey them that have the rule over you. And submit yourselves. And submit yourselves. The outward obedience is not sufficient. There must be an inward submission. Submission is the spirit that's behind the outward obedience. Obey. It's not, not just obey. More than that. I never will forget Brother G.H. Brown, who was, and we were on the Board of Christian Education at that time, and on my way up to Conqueror's Bible College one time, flying an airplane with Brother G.H. Brown, he told me a story. And if I remember right, he said it was his grandson that was involved, that, uh, and his daughter were in church, and um, while the preacher was preaching, this little grandson, a small boy, got up and stood on the pew. And his daughter saw her son standing on the pew. She reached over and she pulled, tugged at his pants and said, sit down. He sat down. But in a minute he was up again. You know how children are? In a minute he was up again. She said, I told you to sit down. <clears throat> down he sat again. But in a minute he was up. This time she reached over and wham, like that, on that special place God has planned for <laughs> And so he turned around and slid down. And his lower lip went out. And after a little bit, he said, Mama, she says, yeah. I'm sitting down. 
She said, I see you are, son, but I'm standing up on the inside. (laughs) So it's one thing to be obedient, and it's another thing to be submissive. Obedience is the outward action. Submissive is the inward spirit. So it says, obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves for what? For they watch for your soul. They watch for your soul. As they that must give account. As they that must give an account. The stewardship of the ministry is to watch for your soul and they must give an account. You have a stewardship of reaching the lost, and you must give an account. And so they must give an account. Read on. That they may do it with joy. Oh, I hope when the time comes that I must give an account, I can do it with joy to the Lord on behalf of this one and that one and the other one. Mm. This one and Sally and Tom and Susie. This one and that one. They've been faithful, Lord. They've done this. They've been been true to you, Lord. Mm. And as we commit them to the Lord, at that wonderful day, we're going to have to give an account. They may do it with joy and not with grief, because if they do it with grief, that is unprofitable for you. The Lord's going to listen to his ministry when they give an account. And if they can't do it with joy and gladness and give a good accounting, it's not going to be very profitable for you. You better be submissive to your pastor. So there is this day of accounting for the ministry, for the saints, for everybody. We all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Everybody. Now notice this last verse we're coming to. Maybe we have one or two others. I'm making it as quickly as I can. John 17, verse 6. I have manifested thy name unto the men which thou gavest now, me I out of the world. Now, I could talk a long time about the 17th chapter of John. This is really the Lord's Prayer. That, that's what we commonly call the Lord's Prayer. It's really not the Lord's Prayer. This is where the Lord himself prayed, and here he gives an account. This is on the very eve of his death, just before he was crucified. And what does he do in this prayer? He gives an accounting of his stewardship. Notice this, verse 6, read it again. I have manifested thy name unto the men which thou gavest me out of the world. I have manifested thy name unto the men thou gavest me out of the world. Thine they were. Thine they were. And thou gavest them me. And thou gavest them me, that you put them into my hands. And they have kept thy word. And, here he reports, they have kept thy word. He's making an accounting. Now verse 8. For I have given unto them the words which thou gavest me. Yes. And they have received them. And they have received them. And have known surely that I came out from thee. Yes. And they have believed that thou didst send me. And they have believed that thou didst send me. Now verse 12. While I was with them in the world... I kept them in thy name. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in thy name. I kept them in thy name. Hallelujah. Don't think that the name isn't important and vital. You must be kept in the name. Read on. Those that thou gavest me, I have kept. Those that thou gavest me, I have kept. Now, 
Pastor, this is the type of reporting, of accounting you're going to have to give. Those that you gave me to take care of, I have kept. But this one and that one and the other one, and name them out, you're going to have to do it. And what happened? Now read on here and let's see what happened. And Those that thou gavest me I have kept. And none of them is lost. And none of them is lost. But the son of perdition. Except Judas, the son of perdition. All right? That the scripture might be fulfilled. That the scripture might be fulfilled. I have kept them. Now, it's true that neither you nor I have the power to keep anybody if they want to go. We can't say quite the words of Jesus, but nevertheless, we can report, can't we? And give an accounting. And we will do that by the help of the Lord. But now in closing, let's notice Matthew 25, 21. His Lord said unto him, Well done, thou good and faithful this servant. This is the response when he gave his accounting. Well done, thou good and faithful. You know, I'm going to expect to hear that. I hope I'll hear that. Well done. You've done well. Oh, Jesus. Thou good and faithful servant. Read on. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many I'll things. make thee ruler over many. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. Oh, what joy. When the race is over, the steward has been a faithful steward. We can enter. This is where Paul gave his final accounting on this side before he went to the other side. And this is what he said in 2 Timothy 4, verses 7 and 8. I have fought a good fight. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. Finished my course. I have kept the I faith. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness. Now I'm going to get the rest of my inheritance. It's laid up for me. And I'm going to go there now and receive it. There's a crown that I'm going to receive. There's laid up for me a crown of righteousness. Read on. Which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that He's day. He's going to give it to me. It's promised, and I'm going to receive it. I'm going to enter into it. Read on. And not to me only. Not to me only. But unto all them. But unto all them. Also. Also. That love that is appearing. love is appearing. Hallelujah. Someday, someday, hallelujah, we'll get the rest of our inheritance. Someday, oh. hallelujah, we'll do as Paul said. It's for us all. Hallelujah. Let's be true to the Lord, shall we? Let's be true to this message. Let's be true stewards. Pass it on to a world. Let's raise our hands, shall we, and worship the Lord. Praise God. Hallelujah, Jesus. Surely our hearts have been touched and transformed by the reality of the knowledge of the last will of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Brother Gray, for this tremendous Bible study this week. And we will continue to feast and enjoy the wonderful truth that over and over again touch our hearts as we go forth in the power of the Holy Ghost to do the will of God and to reach all the beneficiaries. Thank God that is possible before he comes again. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Isn't this wonderful? Thank God. Thank God for his word, his spirit, and every great thing that's been done in our hearts. We will never know just how much has happened here, but so much has happened in these days. Praise the Lord. So 
We thank God for Brother Gray and his ministry to us.